0: Welcome back to You're Not Crazy, a podcast for young pastors from the Gospel Coalition. I'm Sam Albury. I'm joined, as always, by Ray Ortland. Ray, good to see you. Good to see you, Sam. So here's a question to to kick us off for fun. Um, If you could be invited to preach anywhere in the world by some pastor there, where would you love to be invited to preach? Okay,
1: so this is hint, hint, guys. Come on, give me a break. (laughs) Uh, Okay, either two places. Either somewhere in the Outer Hebrides, uh, off the west coast of Scotland, or um, maybe New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, where there might be an elk hunt connected with the, the Sunday <laughs> ministry. So, yeah, that's, uh, I, it would be impossible to decline such an invitation. How about you, Sam? Where would well, you... I would
0: join you with the Outer Hebrides. Uh, that part of the world does something to my soul that nowhere else does. So, um, if anyone wants to invite me to the Isle of Lewis or the Isle of Harris, oh my. I would be there in a shot. Um, and I think I, have always wanted to go to New Zealand. I was meant to go last year and I don't know if you know, there was a pandemic, so I couldn't. I heard something about that. Yeah. It, well, actually joking apart, we live in Tennessee. It, it would be quite easy not to have heard of the pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I was so pumped to be going to New Zealand. So um, that's still a place I am really hope I can get I to. I wonder if there in. are
1: places like um, the Isle of Harris and New Zealand and so forth that are the Lord's sort of prophetic whisper to us of something of what the new earth is going to be oh, like. Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, maybe with slightly less rain. <laughs> maybe. It's interesting. I went to Nova Scotia um, while speaking at a, actually a TGC Atlantic Canada event, and I thought, great Nova Scotia. They called it Nova Scotia because it reminded them of the old Scotia. So this will this will make me feel all like Hebridean, and my soul will feel back home. But it, it's just not like Scotland. Um, so that was disappointing. Nova Scotia, lovely we, place in lots of other respects. But... We
1: both love Scotland yeah. dearly. So, and the
0: further north and west and wet, the better. Actually, hmm. you get the the islands and the mountains and. It's glorious. I have a
1: special place in my heart for the Aberdeen area and Royal D-side. We because lived, you did your study right, there. did did my doctoral work there. We lived in a village just up the valley there, Bankry. And we we kind of felt like we had died and gone to heaven, if, if, if there is such a thing, and uh, felt immensely privileged to live there for four mm. years. And... Uh, there was not a single day in those four years we did not enjoy. Wow! It was amazing.
0: Hey, true or false? You bought a kilt? Have a kilt from that time?
1: Yes, to both of the above, and uh, in feet, indeed, I took piping lessons. I was going to
0: ask that as well. You try to play the bagpipes? Yeah, the sister
1: to the piper to the Queen was my teacher.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, but, uh, precious so, lady. So you must have been really good. Oh. <laughs> No, but... Is this why no one has ever heard you play the bagpipes since? Exactly.
1: But, uh, and I, I, I promise I will never do it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I remember reading once that the definition of a gentleman is someone who can play the bagpipes, but doesn't. <laughs>
1: then uh, I'm not quite the gentleman because I really can't.
0: And you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. There's no natural way of getting from bagpipes to gospel culture. Um, which is probably a good thing. But we're thinking this is our last episode of, of this uh, season of You're Not Crazy. So, Sam, um, thank you for all you've poured into this. I'll all I've, all I've done is um, sit across from you and, and enjoy being with you. So thank you for having me. Um, thanks TGC for letting us play in your house as well. Um, we, be, we want to draw some threads together in this episode, Ray, and think about how, think about the cost Involved with gospel culture, we've we've kind of tried to cast a vision with honesty, honor, time, all those sorts of things, and I am sure a lot of people are dialed into that vision, and it should and does get the juices flowing. Um, but we don't want to imply that it's it's inevitable and that it's just easy that you know you you just need to read, outdo one another, and showing honor, and your church will immediately jump on board and and you can just you know ride off into the sunset together. There can be a cost to pastors in trying to cultivate gospel culture. But we believe it's a cost worth bearing, and we'll get into what that cost can look like, precisely because the cost of not doing it is so much more serious. Um, There's a passage you have in mind on this. Tell us about that.
1: Well, before we go there, in fact, you just prompted a new thought, Sam. Um, And I think it's important to say this to every young pastor who's with us now. My dad used to put it this way, as a pastor, in relation to the church, the congregation that you're serving and leading, one step ahead, you're a leader. Two steps ahead of the people, you're a visionary. Three steps ahead, you're a martyr. (laughs) So the, the trick in pastoral ministry, one of the tricks, is to stay one to two steps ahead so you really can lead with visionary impact, but you don't get so far out ahead that you generate such distress in the mm. congregation that they just can't absorb it. I think of pastoral ministry as disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> so let's just be self-aware yeah. and realize there's there's a pastor listening to this right now who is thinking to turn this church toward... Because people bring into church a sort of pre-understanding of what church, quote-unquote, is supposed to be, and rarely is that a gospel culture paradigm. So to turn a church around, it might take five years, it might take 10 years, it might take 20 years, but it is so worth doing because, as you said a moment ago, the cost of not doing it is far greater.
0: Let's let's think about the cost of doing it first. Okay. Um, It's not always going to be easy. People aren't always going to want to have what we are describing as gospel culture. I mean, it threatens power bases. It threatens people's reputations because again we're asking people to to come clean. Every, every, somebody said to me once, "Every church has its mafia." The question is not whether it has one, but where is it? Who who is the mafia in your any any given church? Sometimes it's the leadership. Sometimes it's a couple of very powerful families. But there there will always be someone with some vested interest, and the call to repentance and to honesty and to being low before the Lord will not fit. The agenda that some people have for church. Some people f- go to church precisely because it's where they finesse their reputation for being respectable.
1: And every every pastor has to pay a price in his own soul. I mean, let's, let's admit it, Sam. There's so much self-importance inside every one of us, mm. and face-saving, and pride, and a desire for prominence, and a profound resistance to confession and mm. so forth. I really need reality to break my way. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then it's not just regrettable, something is going wrong and somebody is going to pay. I mean, that's my psychology as I <clears throat> enter into many situations. Let's all admit that's who we are. That's that's inside mm-hmm. us. Let's forsake it and condemn it. Now, the the cost then. Well, the passage in my opinion about gospel culture the best, most compelling passage in the entire New Testament that we haven't even talked about yet, Galatians 2, through 21. Galatians 2, through 21, it's a complicated passage to unravel, but this passage has been messing with me literally for almost 50 years. Wow. And the conclusion of the passage in verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. Now, Machen, J. Gresham Machen, in his commentary on Galatians says, that is the key verse in the entire letter to the Galatians. I do not nullify the grace of God. The Apostle Paul felt that that needed to be said. He wanted to make his own position clear. Hmm. I do not nullify the grace of God. Apparently, we need to hear that.
0: Appar- Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, the implication is... It's very easy to nullify the grace of God, even if you're you're an apostle.
1: Without even realizing it. That is what's so sort of arresting and unsettling Mm. about this passage. Nullifying the grace of God isn't just a Roman Catholic problem. It isn't just a sort of a, a, you know, a a sectarian problem out there. Uh, You know, the bad legalists out there. In the first century, nullifying the grace of God was an apostolic problem because Paul is addressing Peter. Hmm. John Stott in his commentary on this says, this is the most tense and dramatic episode among Christian leaders in all the New Testament. The apostle Paul confronts, publicly confronts the apostle Peter over a violation of gospel culture. Peter had been welcoming Gentile converts into his heart, into his friendship, into his fellowship, into the church. He had been eating with them. Uh, He was probably eating ham sandwiches with them. (laughs) And for a Jewish, uh, a man steeped in Jewish tradition and Jewish Christianity, traditional Christianity, Mm -hmm. we would say, that was a bold move to make. And Peter accepted it because the Lord had spoken to him in Acts chapter 10, you know, the sheet that came down from heaven Mm -hmm. with the vision and so forth. We all know the story. And God made it very clear. By the way, Sam, isn't it fascinating? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and thousands of people are converted. But just because God super-blessed his ministry, that doesn't mean that Peter had nothing more to learn. Hmm. It wasn't until chapter 10 of the book of Acts that Peter finally saw that Gentile converts are his equals in Christ. They did not have to accept Christ and Jewishness. Yeah. They did not have to accept the gospel in Jewish packaging. All they needed to belong is Jesus received with the empty hands of faith. Now, Peter deeply accepted that. Then here, years later in Antioch, he, he, he betrays gospel doctrine and gospel culture. He stops identifying with, stops eating with, stops hobnobbing and befriending Gentile Uh, Converts because he's under pressure from hyper traditional Jewish believers in Jerusalem. A faction came to Antioch to pressure Peter into withdrawing from these new Gentile converts, and Peter caved. Even Barnabas caved. Paul calls it hypocrisy, Mm. Paul calls it fear it was church politics it was not gospel doctrine i'm just
0: I'm, verse 14 is just waving at me right now he says when i saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel which is exactly the thing we've been trying to think through over the, the course of this podcast is is conduct that reflects the truth of the gospel yes. you can you can assent to the truth of the gospel and yet conduct yourself in a way that contradicts it. That is unsettling. Yeah. And when Paul
1: confronts Peter, he doesn't tell him to change his behavior. Paul, in effect, tells him, you don't really accept justification by faith alone. In other words, the Apostle Paul saw the conduct of Peter and Barnabas and the others, that their conduct was not in step with, in line with, aligned with the truth of the gospel, and he saw that conduct as a betrayal of gospel doctrine. Mm. Gospel culture undermined is not a failure of niceness. It's a betrayal of the doctrine. Yeah. So maybe we're not as orthodox as we think we are. It, it'll be
0: our our behavior more than our statements that shows what we truly believe. That's right. And it's interesting, you know, Paul talks about Peter fearing the circumcision party. It's... Um, It's something like that when the chips are down, something is is truly laid bare about our own hearts that shows which of all the things that we say we believe, actually which of the ones trump all the others. And
1: Paul concludes his um, clarifying of the real issues at stake by saying, I do not nullify the grace of God. Peter, the apostle, had been nullifying the grace of God. Oh my goodness, Sam, who do we think we are? To nullify, in effect, nullify the grace of God. If it's the grace of God, we're here to revere it, not nullify it. Let's have a sense of ourselves and humble ourselves and really believe what we believe and follow through with gospel culture. To put it in, in formulaic and somewhat abstract categories, the vertical transforms the horizontal. Gospel doctrine transforms gospel relationships. So where
0: where there is a lack of horizontal transformation is an indication that the vertical hasn't actually been received as we think it is.
1: Yes, and when Peter was, and Barnabas and the others, were violating the truth of justification by faith alone, they were not merging into or going off into you know, liberal Christianity, denying the Bible. They were not explicitly um, forsaking the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They had no idea what they were doing. Mm-hmm. In their heart of hearts, they were honestly, conscientiously, they, they would have ticked all the right boxes theologically. And Paul comes and says, you're acting as if there is no such thing as justification by faith alone. Who do you think you are to nullify the grace of God? Oh, Sam, it's so unsettling. What if, what if thousands of our churches across the country right now are nullifying the grace of God as
0: Peter did without even realizing and it? And he did it, let's let's face it, he did it by who he ate with and who he didn't eat with. Something is seemingly it, as innocuous as that can actually contradict the, the
1: significance of our treatment of one another far exceeds our awareness yeah. of that of those relationships. It's the very people that are being pushed out to the margins by the hyper conservative, hyper traditional. You yes, yes, yes. You've got to accept Jesus, but you have got to accept Jesus. Are we to become
0: like us to be a
1: Christian? that is those? those are the very people we need to be alert to and the ones they're pushing out to the margins, let's go gather them in with all the more sincerity and gladness of heart and assurances that we are in this together. Mm. Then we're both preaching gospel doctrine and embodying gospel culture. So in my mind's eye, Sam, what I'm seeing is, and, and I think in this episode it's time for me. It's time for you, and every young pastor listening. I think it's time for us to make some decisions. Okay, we've had this the privilege of this um, podcast series, and and I'm very grateful for it. But let's not leave it at the level of the hypothetical. We have some decisions to make. So in my mind's eye, I'm seeing, I'm seeing Peter here in the the the, the center of this mental picture, and. Over to one side is the Apostle Paul, and over on the other side are the, uh, the circumcision faction. And every young pastor is in Peter's position, hmm. under pressure from certain groups and strong personalities and so forth, to kind of reshape the culture of their church in such a way that certain people are just kept out. And that's on the one side. On the other side, here's the Apostle Paul saying, but wait a minute. What about justification by faith alone? And every young pastor has to decide which way he's going to go. Now, again, one step ahead, you're a leader. Two steps ahead, you're a visionary. Three steps ahead, you're a martyr. So you have to lead your church with respectful sensitivity to what they can absorb at any given moment. But you must also, every young pastor, I'm, I'm speaking to you now, young pastor, you got to make up your mind what kind of man you're going to be and what you're going to stand for and how, perhaps slowly but inexorably, you're going to guide that church and help that church turn a corner such that the doctrines they formally profess and subscribe to translate into the inclusive, generous, honest, gentle, cheerful courageous culture like the early church that will compel the attention of your city but if you cave and settle for institutional management only the apostle paul through your conscience is going to tap you on the shoulder and 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 remind you wait a minute what about the finished work of christ on the cross what what about the all-sufficiency of your savior What about imputed righteousness? What about faith alone? What about justification by faith alone? These are not denominational options. Mm. This is Christianity. Young pastor, are you gonna stand, take your stand for Christianity, for Christ, right where you are? And maybe, here's a crazy thought, maybe you need to get down on your knees in your study before this day is over, and give your life to Christ all over again. Give your ministry to Christ. Give your future to Christ. Give your reputation to Christ. And say, Lord, I am here for you. Guide me according to your truth into the green pastures and still waters of gospel culture for this church where you have placed me. Help me, keep me, keep me from sin, keep me close to your heart. I'm all in. I'm going to need you, moment by moment, to be gently, brave, and unstoppable for the display of your glory in this place. I'm all in. Help me take my next step. Amen. Why, why wouldn't any pastor want to pray that way? Like,
0: today? It's, it's another way of, of resolving to fear God more than man. And I, th- I think of God's promise to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I'm with you. There are going to be some giants in the land who look intimidating and all-powerful, but actually, if God is with us, then we we can prevail.
1: We will prevail, and indeed, we will prevail by suffering and suffering loss cheerfully.
0: That may actually be how the victory happens, mightn't it? So, we're all in. So, gospel culture is not the icing on the cake. Gospel culture, if I'm not taking an analogy too far, which preachers never do, is is the cake itself what the ingredients of gospel doctrine end up producing? So I hope, if if nothing else, people are, are are thinking, gospel culture isn't just an idealized form of church that we can attain to, but is just you know we've got to live in the real world. It's never going to happen. It's an entailment of the gospel itself, and our own well, the the credibility of of our churches. Or stand and fall with the presence or absence of gospel culture.
1: And our own faithfulness. To me, this redefines the category faithfulness. Mm. Simply preaching the Bible accurately and upholding the categories of systematic theology accurately is not the whole of faithfulness. I look at Galatians 2 11 through 21, and I realize faithfulness includes that and following through, translating those truths into the beauties of human relationships where anyone through Christ alone can enter in and belong. Mm. And there's no pressure put upon them to, to conform to any group or any history or any tradition or culture. They come in as they are with Christ alone, and immediately they belong. Mm. That, when we're both preaching the message of Christ and building the community of Christ in that way, then we are faithful, fully faithful, not half faithful.
0: Yeah, right. We haven't talked about this, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it anyway. Um, We, you know, those who are listening and who are really wanting to move forwards with this, um, there will be a way of contacting us. We'll we'll just announce that there is a way of contacting us and it will somehow happen. It'll be in the show notes somewhere. Um, We would love to pray for you. So, if there are folks there who are wanting to take these steps, I'm—we're our greatest present. You will have people on the ground there that you can link arms with, because you know that that makes all the difference in the world. But if we can just pray for you, we would love to do that. So, if you if you want to get in touch, let us know who you are and where you are. We'll pray for you. How about that? Excellent,
1: great idea, Sam. Thank you for that. Now, we want to thank uh, our friends who at Crossway Books who have. Uh, sponsored this entire uh series of of podcasts we we love and admire and respect and trust our friends at crossway books and you have a crossway publication you want to commend to our friends
0: i do um many of us will have multiple series of of commentaries that we dip in and out of Um, a newer series that, that crossway has been producing in the last couple of years has a, a couple of things going for it. The, the most immediately apparent thing it has going for it is just how <laughs> how handsome the books are to look at. Um, it's the ESV Expository Commentary. There's, there's, I think, 12 volumes overall. They haven't all come out yet. Um, they are really smartly done. So let's just talk about the exterior before we talk about the interior. They, mm-hmm. They've done a great job. These things look really nice on the shelf. Mm-hmm. But, thankfully, um, they're also pretty good on the inside as well. Uh, these are... Expository commentaries, and so they're, they're written by people who on the whole are pastor-scholars, not just people who are academics only, but people who are academics who have enough ministry um, experience to know what you're needing to, to get from a commentary. They're not just... Too many commentaries are academics talking to other academics, and the preacher's trying to listen in and kind of understand the conversation and then figure out what it has to do with Sunday morning sermon. Uh, this book is really written for preachers. Um this series is really written for preachers, but by people who who really do know their stuff. It's really the ESV
1: expository commentary. I'm gonna guess that uh, any young pastor who gets hold of these volumes might find that they become the first commentary he reaches for as he's, you know, ramping up for yeah, well, preaching. That's Sunday the other morning.
0: benefit is that I I found in my use of them so far that they're the right kind of length. If I want to read a commentary on half a dozen verses, I'm not having to read 80 pages. Um, it's, it's the right kind of depth to really help you begin to orient yourself into the, the world of the text and what's going on, and so um, yeah, I'd agree with I that. I
1: totally agree with you, Sam. ESV Expository Commentary, strongly, enthusiastically recommend. Now, young pastor, here's what we're saying. You're not crazy. You are out there living for Christ, serving for Christ laying it on the line, your wife is with you in it, you're paying a price, and sometimes you wonder, am I making any difference? Is this doing any good? And sometimes you might feel exhausted. You might feel defeated. We have all been there, (laughs) haven't we? And uh, so Sam and I are just here to say that we respect you. We value what you're doing. Please keep going. Never quit. It's always too soon to quit, and just take your need to your risen Christ above, moment by moment. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being your friends and conversation partners uh, through this series of podcasts, and we look forward to meeting you personally, maybe at a Gospel Coalition National Conference or, or somewhere else. The Lord be with you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Again, do contact us. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback. And we're grateful again to to, uh, the Gospel Coalition for allowing us to have a podcast on their site.
1: And one more thing. There is a third guy sitting here. He has had to endure all these uh, episodes and has rescued us with his kind editing along the way. Andrew Lepara. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Right. Andrew LaPara. What kind of name is LaPara? Spanish name. Okay. Andrew is our engineer, sound guru, technical genius who has rescued us from having to know anything or understand anything about this. We just sit down. He's done all the hard work.
0: Yeah, There's, there's a about... 78 miles of wires around connected to things I don't understand. He's got a, a thing in front of him that looks like NASA uses to, to kind of guide shuttles and things. So Andrew, thank you for honestly for, for being a, an amazing servant.
1: See you guys. Bye. We did it! Hey, we know you have a ton to do these days and so it means a lot to us that you would listen to the podcast. Thank you. For listening to this episode of you're not crazy gospel sanity for young pastors do visit tgc.org podcasts for more episodes and it would be great if you'd subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts. thank you for doing that spotify wherever you listen wherever you hang out thanks the you're not crazy podcast was made possible by multiple team members at tgc that team includes the hosts of the show Ray Ortland and Sam Albury, as well as Stephen Morales and Andrew LaPara as executive producer and
0: producer. Heather Farrell, our podcast lead. Gabriel Reyes, our graphic designer. And Josh Diaz, our audio engineer. You're Not Crazy is a
1: part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. You can find more podcasts at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.